10-5 touchdown, Arkansas State. Culver is safe. The Red Wolves have walked it off. Amir, coast to coast, lays it home with the right hand, and he's fouled. Welcome to the Second to None podcast, the A-State podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. And welcome in once again to the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Matt and Brad with you, and we've got another fun-filled edition of the podcast today. Lots of good stuff. I'm going to go out on a limb Mm -hmm. and say we'll have our best international listenership in uh, the history of this podcast this week. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And look, we're huge overseas and internationally. I just think this will be huger. That's right. Especially with our European listening audience. Yes. Seydou Traore coming up a little bit later on in the program. The A-State tight end and London, England native. Looking forward to that visit and getting to know all about this young man who really hasn't been playing football very long. We'll get the lowdown on Seydou and his getting to Arkansas State. And again, that's coming up a little bit later on. But we want to start with A-State basketball and in particular, the men's team. What a weekend it was for Coach Bellato's crew. And by the way, they're now 13-4 and four overall. They're 4-1 and one in the Sun Belt. All alone. Yes. In first place in the Sunbelt Conference standings. And as good as that is, and that's great, right? First place is sweet. I just, I can't get over, still can't get over. <laughs> I know. Missing two games against Little Rock and a home game against Georgia State, which at the time, right, felt like a huge measuring stick type game. And, and Georgia, Georgia State, State still hasn't won yeah, a conference hadn't won a game. Yeah, won a conference game. So I uh, just think. Golly, look what the record is and look what it potentially could be. You've gotten three games that, as it stands, you know, at the time, you may have been favored in all three of them. When you look back at this past week, a good UTA team coming in here this past Thursday night, UTA was 4-2 and two in league play. They had some good wins under their belt. They had gone to Georgia State and won. They had defeated the Cajuns. They beat Troy, who's off to a good start this season. And we didn't know what to expect early because because of the Little Rock cancellations, it had been 12 days between games for the Red Wolves. And there was a little bit of rust in the first half against UTA. The Red Wolves get down 14 in the first half. They're down nine at the intermission. UTA had played the league's toughest non-conference schedule and in a state, you know, going on a twelve-day layoff for the second time this season, you're right. Kind of looked at a little bit just from a making shots standpoint. Got down fourteen with just over four to go in the first half, and maybe the key stretch of that game. I know there's the big run in the second half, really, to start the second half. Kind of ends up telling the tale, but getting down fourteen and immediately coming back on a seven-zero run is as big a, a, a spurt as there was in that game. I thought that was big. And you mentioned to begin the second half, the Red Wolves scored the first nine points. So it goes from a nine-point halftime deficit to just like that, it's a brand-new ball game. And the Red Wolves able to go on to win it 75-70. to 70. Huge game for Norshad O'Meara. I know it's hard to believe. 18 points, 16 boards. And the thing about those 16 rebounds – Nine of them came on the offensive end. And as we sit here recording this, Norshad is second nationally in offensive rebounds. And it just is so big to be able to extend those possessions. And that's what Norshad continues to do. And the other thing is not just the numbers he's putting up, but the fact that he gets better as he goes. The second half numbers in a game, you know, are better than the first. You know, that that's the, the thing about it is just the, the motor, but the ability to just keep that motor at that level essentially nonstop. And so Well, he's he's able to stay in games now. Yes. You know, we remember not that long ago, early in the season, talking about, well, you know, how good can Norshad be if he just stays in the game? Well, we're starting to see that now because, knock on wood, we've been able to watch him 
stay out of foul trouble and stay in games. And look, his conditioning, he can go out there and play 40 minutes every night without any issue. And to skip ahead to Saturday to, to the point, he had two rebounds at halftime Saturday. Now, offensively, he had had a big first half and it was nearly perfect from the floor and all, but two rebounds. And, and those are both pretty late in the first half. He got an offensive board mm-hmm. and on the very next possession got a defensive rebound. And that's it. It's all he had in the first half. And it, it just doesn't matter. You go back to the UTA game, though. Norshad had 18 and 16. Desi Sills with a good night had 16 points. And then Marquise Eaton just uncharacteristically did not have a good first half against UTA I think he was 0 for 6 from the field at halftime but he goes on to score 16 points in the second half he also had eight assists and was a big part of that comeback and you brought it up to me after the game and you know we had talked about him in the post game too but you know Marquise Davis was a really big factor in that game he came in had a couple of big baskets off the bench he took a charge late Avery Feltz also mm-hmm. took a charge late in that game mostly Marquise Davis could have not done any of the things you just said could have not hit the two shots could have not taken the charge and he still had a huge impact on that game because the way he guarded David Azor in the second half there's no like there's not a, a stat you can put to that besides go look at Azor's stats when it was happening he was essentially a non-factor for the biggest stretch of the second half. He took one shot and turned it over three times. And that's mostly with Marquise Davis guarding him. Ace Day wins it 75-70 over UTA. Then Saturday, we were really looking forward to this game because Texas State was coming in to Jonesboro. They had won the Sunbelt regular season championship a year ago and you know, we played them close so many times. <laughs> I, I just look back and think of all the close games. And I still was scratching my head going back last week thinking, have they really won 10 in a row against Same us? Same thing in, 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 in prepping for that game, to look down and see that and see, you know, 10 straight, five straight in Jonesboro. Bellotto to that point was 0-6 against them. Texas State's kind of dominance over Arkansas State predated him. And that been since Coach Brady since. It was it, it, it just it's like, this is nuts. I, now I know how Monroe feels in football. <laughs> kind of similar. <laughs> well, these teams came in to Saturday with identical records. Both were at 12-4 and overall, 3-1 and in league play. Texas State led most of the first half, but at the end of the first half, Caleb Fields able to get a big three. It tied it up at 32, and I talked about it with Caleb. I talked about it with Coach Bellotto in the postgame, and you know they felt confident at that point because Texas State had come out and shot 56%, and still it's a tie game at halftime. We talked about the same thing on the ESPN Plus broadcast with Coach Boyers that you know, if you're Arkansas State, you're going to you just I mean, Texas State just played the first half their way, right? You just played their game. They shoot a above average clip and same thing. They got nothing to show for it. It's thirty two thirty two. You had to feel pretty good about that spot going into halftime. Bobcat scored the first bucket of the second half, but then the Red Wolves go on a twelve nothing run after that. It was all A State from there on. They end up winning at sixty seven to 60 and really it started with that second half run and the a-state defense you hold them to 38 percent in the second half after texas state had shot 56 percent in the first half but i thought caleb fields was a huge factor in this game because of his defense on mason harold their point guard who's a preseason first team all league selection and I don't think Harold put a shot up from the field until the last three or four minutes of the game. Two and a half minutes to go. He had not, I mean, right with two and a half to go, he he scored, and that's the first shot he took. Again, he said first-team all-conference guy, a guy who scored 17 in here last year when they got out with a win. Here's the thing. I'll follow that right up by saying he went 37 and a half minutes without scoring and then nearly got him back in it. Because he scored six real quick. You know, yep. It turned it over a time or two. So he did what you'd think a big-time player is going to do. Is that, all right, you, you, you got me the first 
37 minutes, but I'm, I'm still going to give my team a shot here in the last three, and, and that's practically what he did. Caleb also had seven assists in that game to just one turnover. Uh, he continues to be top three in the league in assist and assist to turnover ratio. Desi Sills, I thought, was a big factor in this game. He had 21 points, and the way he just attacked the basket all day long, I, I thought really kind of set the tone for what A-State was trying to do. And, you know, he did what Coach Bellotto in his uh, Zoom with the media last week talked about. That Coach Bellotto's not going to go to one of these guys and say it. And he's not going to tell one of these guards you're shooting it too much. What he's going to do is say, know what shots to take. And he talked about having that conversation with Desi. Desi sat here and said, I know I'm, I know I'm not shooting it very well. The numbers showed that. So they didn't talk to him about shooting it less. They talked to him about taking better shots. He's taking better shots, and lo and behold, he's hitting more of them. Norshad with another huge game, 23 points, 13 rebounds. And you mentioned earlier he had just two rebounds in the first half, so 11 in the second half. He had three block shots. It's his seventh straight double-double, and we can sit here and talk about the numbers all day long, but he's coming up with the big plays when it counts now. <laughs> you go back, and this is a huge moment in the ball game. Five seconds on the shot clock, 54 seconds remaining in the game. A-State's inbounding on the baseline, and they get it into Norshad. He drives down to the block, lays it up, misses off the glass, but gets his own board and dunks it home. He's lobs it into Norshad. O'Meara driving to the block, lays it up, shot won't go, gets his own board and throws it down. Norshad with the offensive board and stuff. A-State up six. And again, Brian Boyer sitting there, and it's not just baseline. It's not like baseline underneath. It's baseline out by the corner. He's on our broadcast talking about this was his least favorite spot to have to try to inbound it in a tough spot. You know, as a coach, it's the toughest place to have to inbound it from. Then you just basically throw a little short pass. Norshad standing right inbounds. Marquis Eaton gives it to him. And I'm guessing, depending on what Texas State does defensively, I'm assuming Norshad then has the option of probably either handing it back to Marquise or doing what he does was just turn baseline. Norshad wasn't thinking about that option at that point. I mean, if they came said, and doubled him, which is, you know, would have been the thing to do. Yeah. They did not. As soon as they did not, then he just turns the baseline, goes and gets a shot up, and then, you know, does what everybody else does. I mean, there are all kinds of dudes and get followed dunks. It's just there aren't any other ones that get followed dunks on their own shots. You usually come flying in and dunk somebody else's miss home. He did it to himself. Unreal. And then Texas State goes down to the other end. They miss a shot. Norshad hustles down a rebound in the corner and just heaves it to the other end of the floor and ends up hitting Avery Feltz in stride for a lay. 40 seconds left. Harold. Works it between his legs on the left wing, puts up the three, misses short, rebound, tracked down in the corner by O'Meara, heaves it up the floor to Feltz, Avery left side, lays it home! They stayed up eight! Magic Johnson made a play like that one time way back when, you know, at the end of a playoff game where he just threw the ball up in the air toward the other end, and that was, you know, there wasn't anybody there. It was just simply to get it to the other end of the floor while the clock was running. It just so happened here... And it wasn't just that he hit Avery Feltz in stride. It's that Avery beat Desi to the ball, or he would have hit Desi in stride, and he would have been the one that went down and got a basket. Because they were both right there. This team continues to impress. 13-4, and four, the best start in 33 years. You go back to the 88-89 season, the last time they started off at 13-4. and four. That team actually started 18-4. and four. Yeah, and uh, it's only the fourth time, what, 94 seasons of basketball that a team has won 13 of the first 17. Yeah. I guess I said this on social media, and I'll say it here too. You know, there was a crowd of 1,100 there Thursday night, and it was a good crowd. But the crowd Saturday, it's, I mean, to, I, I was surprised to get the box score and see it called, you know, the 1,700. 1700. By the way, uh, we can have a whole other conversation about Arkansas State's turning in the most accurate attendance numbers in America. And you know what? And I can live with it. If, if it's 1,700 and that's the 1,700 that are going to keep coming, I'm okay with that from the standpoint that they weren't there just to sit and watch the game. They were there to help the team win, and they did. That was a crowd that was into that basketball game, making noise. 
when they needed to. And, and what I love about a game at First National Bank Arena is if the crowd gets a little stagnant, the one thing they need to happen, it's not a big scoring run, it's not a steal or a dunk, if they can just get a missed call in there. If the official will just step up and miss a call, that's all that place needs to get the crowd right back into a ball game. Yeah, they just are looking for any chance <laughs> they can to get on the refs, and I don't think we're the only fan base that I love it. is that way. So the men in first place, the women had been playing well. They went into last week on a three-game win streak, and they were on the road making the Alabama swing. They played at South Alabama Thursday at Troy on Saturday. Couple of close losses on this trip. Uh, they lose both games by single digits, and they had to go without their leading scorer in these two games. Kia Patton actually injured herself during warmups before Thursday's game at South Al. If you recall, you know, Kia did not finish the game against Coastal Carolina the weekend before. Now, officially, they said she could have finished it. She came out. Uh, to kind of you know maybe hyperextend or something to that left knee, and she didn't finish that game. But it wasn't on ice. The trainer wasn't with her. They said she was sitting in the middle of the bench. They said, hey, she could have gone back in and just didn't have to. Right, the lead was comfortable. Then you fast forward it to Thursday, and all of a sudden you find out something happens to her in pregame, and I think to that same leg. So hopefully, still nothing major because uh, she's obviously we know how she'd been playing. She was the reigning player of the week at the time or had just been the player of the week at the time. So hopefully uh, not an extended stretch for her, but still you had to deal with uh, being out on the road for the first time in a while, trying to keep your mojo going, and then, well, hey, just to kind of crank up the degree of difficulty a little bit, we'll just take away your leading scorer in pregame warm-ups. Yeah, it's a tough combination to overcome, and – you know, South Alabama ends up winning the game Thursday, 73-65. Also tough to overcome, just 30% shooting from the field. That's what uh, the Red Wolves shot on Thursday. And they were one of 16 from three-point range. They did out-rebound South Alabama, 50-39, to which kept them in the game. Morgan Wallace and Trinity Jackson, both with double-doubles. Jaira Washington had 25 points. And mentioned Morgan Wallace, she actually went over 1,000 career points in this game. And it did give Coach Rogers a chance to, uh, not that she relished it, but I promise she also didn't miss a chance to, after the fact, come back and sort of say, I told you so. Because, again, in her Zoom with the media last week, they had scored 98, 98, and 81 in the three games prior to that. And, you know, she said, look, I mean, we don't we don't show it right now, but I'm a defensive-minded head coach. I was playing better on the defensive end because you're not always going to hit shots. This is what happened. They got, Now, they they'd still did a good enough job on the boards, but you, you got to give yourself a chance to still win games when you don't hit shots. Same thing as the men. I mean, and in the men's case, they did give themselves a chance to win. They lost an overtime in the Cajun Dome when the backcourt was 6 for 36. Yeah. The uh, women knew they had a big chore Saturday, especially having to go without Kia Patton again. But uh, they go to Troy, and Troy's been at the top of the league for a few years now. But they still give the Trojans quite a game. Uh, Troy wins 79-72, but the Red Wolves led after three quarters. Troy, though, goes on a 14-2 run early in the fourth, and that was uh, too much to overcome. Yeah, there was less scoring in this game than I thought there'd be. At whatever is 151 points, uh, I, I I would have especially and it was I, it was something like there were over 50 points scored in the first quarter. Uh, there were a bunch of points scored. In, it was 20 something to 20 something in the first quarter at the end. So uh, that was more what I expected to see. So the defenses in this one actually played a little bit better. And then oddly enough, A State had somebody go over a thousand for the second straight game. Yeah, Jaira Washington did it. She gobbled up the last uh, bit of from 900 to 1,000 pretty quick because she did it in a couple of chunks at 25 a pop. And uh, it wasn't very long ago. Morgan Wallace was you know, 30, 40 points ahead. And you thought, well, Morgan will get it in the next week or maybe the week after that. Gyro will get her 1,000 point. And she got there pretty quick. Another double-double for Morgan Wallace in this game. She played 40 minutes in both of the games last week. So she continues uh, to be... Uh, a big part of what this team is doing. Lauren yeah. Pendleton with the season high 
21 points. And one of the most impressive things, I guess, about the game Saturday was the fact that they out-rebounded Troy. They were one of the better rebounding teams in the entire country. Morgan Wallace, I can draw a lot of comparisons to her with Marquise Eaton, and they don't necessarily play the same position, whatever, but I, I think they have the same impact on their teams, just the, the veteran, calming influence. In Morgan Wallace's case, she can really do whatever you need her to do. I mean, you, I really, I honestly think you could play her at any position, certainly one, two, three, or four, and though she's not going to get you beat playing that position. I mean, she's really a guard, but she's yeah. uh, you know among the league leader in rebounds. Women still in good shape. They're ten and nine overall, three and three in Sun Belt Conference play. They'll return home this coming week. And we will mention Lauren Pendleton went for twenty one in that Troy game, which I'm going to go ahead and you know let Coach Rogers carry over a little of her mojo because that's a season high. You know, on the same weekend where Pendleton was one of the players. Coach Rogers pointed out on Zoom they needed more from. And it wasn't on Thursday necessarily. Well, she had a nice game Thursday, but season high Saturday and that one at Troy. Those teams got some freshmen that are pretty fun to watch. We're going to switch gears, talk a little A-State football when we come back. Looking forward to our visit with Seydoux Triore, And that's coming up next on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. So get more control, more convenience, and more peace of mind with your Simmons Bank debit and credit cards. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. And we welcome you back into the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We are pleased to be joined in studio today by A-State tight end out of London, England, Seydou Traore. How you doing, Seydou? I'm doing well. It's good to have it you is, here yeah. because we want to tell your story, which is extremely unique. And you know, this is the first time we've been able to sit down with you and really have an extended conversation. So it's not every day that we have a football player from outside of the United States. And especially in your case, American football is, is still kind of catching on, isn't it? Yeah, it's not as uh, advanced in the United Kingdom. So, yeah, it's definitely different. Well, tell us about you. Tell us about your family. How many brothers and sisters do you have? Tell uh, us about growing up in London. I have one sister. Uh, I also have a half-sister. And I grew up with my sister and my mum in London, South London. Lived there my whole life, was born there. And yeah, that's that's part of me. What sports did you play growing up? You were a big soccer player, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, so I was really into like loads of different sports. So growing up, played like a bit of basketball here, a bit of soccer here. Uh, I was into martial arts as well. Mm-hmm. So anything that I could really like get my hands on or give a go, then I was always trying it. Now we talking breaking boards type martial arts. We talking about kicking folks martial arts. Yeah, like I was into karate. Huh. I mean, you're Brown. kind of a, were you, I mean, you're big dude now. Were you big dude then? <laughs> um, I was definitely a lot slimmer. I'd say a tiny bit more flexible back then. But yeah, I, I managed to reach brown belt in karate. But yeah, I was definitely slimmer. But soccer was your main sport, is that right? Yeah, soccer. Yeah. All right, and you were a goalkeeper? Yeah. How long did you play soccer? Not too long. It was during secondary school, which for you guys, I'm assuming is like... Is it's, that it's junior not, high, high school? I'm pretty sure it's high school. And it was around the time where I was seeing a lot of close friends play football and everything. And obviously in London, that's like the number one sport. So I kind of got, you know, influenced. I'll give it a go, give it a go. Uh, turned out to be pretty, pretty good at a goalkeeper, I guess the hand-eye coordination, like that comes with football, so came a goalkeeper. I can see that. So yeah, and I was pretty good at jumping and diving. So ended up playing goalkeeper, just seen a lot of friends do it and but it's kind you of- You told me that didn't start till high school age? Yeah, it didn't start until late. Really? I was around 14-ish. Wow, see I'd lost that bet. I figured that was a 
five or six years old and just yeah. roll with the thing. No, nah, I just kind of got uh, pretty good at it, like pretty quickly. Well, you've been in America for a while now. You see how big American football is in the United States, but it's still growing over in the United Kingdom. I know the NFL has had a presence overseas for a little while now. But as far as American football, when was your first exposure to it? I'm not sure what age, but I was uh, just playing around and someone actually like tried to get me to play flag football because there's loads of different types of restrictions in the UK. Like you can't play contact football until I'm pretty sure it's like the age of 13. Hmm. So someone actually introduced me to flag but I didn't actually start getting into football and like playing contact football until 16 years old. And then, yeah, that's where the story kind of starts. Do you always have to call it American football there? Yeah. It's all you got to specify. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you try to say soccer, they're like, who do you think you are? You're not American, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> all right. You, you said that 16 is where the story really start. So eventually you're going to end up coming over to the United States to play American football, but what leads you to that decision? When did you actually start playing enough to where you could think you could come over here and play? So when I first started playing that first season of like football, it wasn't even 11 man, uh, it was nine man football. And obviously I played, I was quite athletic. So I did pretty well naturally. And then as the year continued, I was like, oh, okay, this is the following year the NFL Academy had started. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna give a shot at this. And I was like, I, I came in there with like intentions of, okay, I'm gonna do pretty well, like with a bit of confidence to myself. Um, so when I came in, I guess that confidence was a good thing because I did well. That year got interrupted through Corona. Mm -hmm. So I actually stopped. Corona sent the UK on a national lockdown. So the academy shut down, school shut down. And for a good, like, I'm not sure where it was, like a good six months, like, I was just kind of out. And during those months, I was just training 24-7. Honestly, it was that Corona period where I saw, like, the biggest improvement in myself and at my position. Because I felt like I was just picking up so much stuff. I had so much time to kind of dedicate. I didn't have school. I didn't have a lot of other priorities. Mm -hmm. Uh, big thing I want to know is coming up because I mean, for a big chunk of your life this has been a thing so have you gone to an NFL game in London yeah they host games at Tottenham and at Wembley and the academy also helped us get tickets to those games so yeah it was really entertaining or you saw the Jacksonville Jaguars play I'm sure because that's who always plays in London yeah so the Jaguars played um, <laughs> we were really turned up because <laughs> F.A. Obada a guy from London who's in the NFL he was on, I'm pretty sure at that time he was at the Panthers and he had made a play and like the whole stadium erupted because he like, he's a home, home player, if that makes sense. He's from yeah. London. So as far as the NFL Academy goes, you're working out there, but is that something you got invited to? How did you kind of get involved there? So I signed up for it and so did like thousands of other kids and then... It was like an online kind of survey, signed up for it. There was one trial, went to that trial, performed the right, went to the second trial, which was in a new stadium that they had built for Tottenham, the soccer team, and performed well there. And from like the thousands of children that had applied, it got broken down into like an 80 man kind of roster. And yeah, I made a team. At that point, you're playing in the NFL Academy you're getting some experience there. When did you feel like you could make the move to the United States to play and who kind of put that process in motion? I'd say seeing a lot of other Europeans try and like make the trip overseas, I was like, okay, this is something that I need to, you know, like think, okay, like, I could actually go overseas and compete. Obviously the academy got cut short, didn't get to play any games with them. Uh, so we were practicing 11-man football, but no games. But there was just loads of camps like during that corona kind of period. And like everyone that I would go to, it's like I was 
I didn't find anyone that I felt like could stop me. And it was at those kind of points I was like, okay, uh, I feel like I've kind of, I've not conquered, but I feel like I've kind of made my mark uh, mm-hmm. on the UK and Europe. And that was time to move overseas. So who, who's the connection between, you know, back home, whether it's NFL Academy or whatever the mm-hmm. case is, and who or how do you land at Clearwater Academy International? Okay, so during that corona period, yeah, loads, let's just say loads of stuff was happening over that corona period. Um, and a couple old teammates that were from the academy had moved overseas already. Uh, one of them being a D lineman who also went to Clearwater with me. Another D lineman who went to Georgia and a few other players. So I think in total there was like four of us that ended up actually going overseas. And I was messaging the schools like 24 so I, I was fixed on, okay, I'm leaving the country. Uh, it's time for me to go and play ball overseas. And I obviously hit up the schools they had been going to. And it took a couple of attempts, I'll say that, but ended up pulling through with Clearwater. You get into Clearwater Academy International, Clearwater, Florida. You had never played an 11-man American football game in your life. No. When did you arrive? How far in front of the first football game did you actually get to the school? Now, it was pretty close to the first game, wasn't oh, it? Oh, I missed the first game of the season. Oh, okay. So, so you missed you, the first game. This. You came straight in during the season. Let, let me yeah. talk about let – me, let me, as opposed to making you try to remember this, mm-hmm. let me tell you the way it's reported. Yeah. And you can tell us whether it's true or false. Mm-hmm. Where it is, you come over – there's a quarantine period because you've got COVID stuff going. Yeah. You know, obviously you come from overseas, quarantine. You get out of quarantine, practice one time, and play. Roughly, kind of like that, yeah. Okay. So it was, yeah, it was a quick like turnover. Extremely like, quick. Yeah. yeah. They, um, it was either one or two games, but I'd come into the season, didn't have any preseason, didn't have any camp with the team. So it was really just how well did I know the playbook and. As soon as I did, like just jump straight in and go attack it. Well, you did jump straight in. <laughs> that that's amazing. So this is your your senior year of high school. You're playing American football for the first time, and you start to have a little bit of success. Mm-hmm. When did you start realizing you could play at the next level in college? And you know what was it like when? schools started reaching out to you so it was definitely when schools started reaching out it was definitely uh a great feeling i kind of like have a confidence about myself that i know how i've worked hard enough to kind of get uh to certain places so when school started getting in contact i was like okay like i've worked hard uh i'm gonna continue to work hard and eventually offers will come in because a lot of schools like to talk, but when the offer comes in and, you know, you sign that piece of paper, that's when it's finally official. When schools started talking and when I found out that, like, I'd be on the field and I was like, no one's no one's guarding me. Like, I'm a couple steps ahead of everyone. Um, like, I, I didn't feel like anyone could stop me. Well, uh, let me back this up one step because you told us you grew up, you know, basically your whole life, South London, it's your mom, your sister. Mm-hmm. Now, you come in here and in pretty quick order decide I'm going to play this game of American football and I'm going to go to America to do it. Does that take some, conv- <laughs> that go does that take some convincing? Yeah. Are they on board with that? What's uh, <laughs> Surprisingly, that was smoothly. Like, it's much smoother than I thought. <laughs> it could be because I had already technically been signing myself up or talking to coaches without her knowledge as yet. Oh. But once she like she kind of understood as a child, you're leaving the house every day saying, I'm going to go train, I'm going to go do this. So she kind of understood kind of my aspiration. So I think when I finally did say, I'm going to go overseas, it was more like a me not telling her, but saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go overseas, play football, chase my dreams. And then she kind of just said, okay, like this is kind of what he's been leaving the house every day for. It's what he's been working for. So it kind of went kind of smoothly. Well, they understood what you were trying to do. So yeah. you you come over, you're, you're starting to hear from schools in your one and only season of American football that you've played. 
When was the first time that you heard about Arkansas State and the first time that you ever talked to Coach Jones? I didn't actually end up receiving the offer to, to Arkansas State until quite late on. So originally I had a few offers from other schools and I felt like I should be playing at a high level. So I did actually wait out on the first uh, signing day. So during that period, I went home, carried on training and carried on messaging coaches and was waiting for an offer to come through. So I didn't actually get Arkansas State offer until like a few days before signing day. That's when I first spoke to Coach Kwon. And yeah, he was the one that recruited me. And he put me on the phone uh, during FaceTime with Coach Jones. And then, yeah, we spoke about a few things. And that was the first time. Did you hang up from that FaceTime? Get on Google and Google what the heck is an Arkansas State? <laughs> okay, so, yeah. <laughs> Slightly. <laughs> I was like, Arkansas? No. Okay, my first... So, obviously, I had been in Florida. And I knew that right next to Florida was Georgia. And I knew... I just kind of... You were knew, learning your geography. Yeah, yeah. My, my American geography, yeah. So, when they said Arkansas State, I was like... I was just trying to think, where is Arkansas? I didn't actually know where it was located in America. And then I see where it is. I'm like, okay, where's Arkansas State? And then I start, start seeing Jonesboro, and I'm like, okay, okay. So, yeah, I did actually have to Google it and everything. I didn't actually know. <laughs> Brad and I, we're there on signing day, and we're doing a broadcast, and Coach Jones was very excited about signing you. And he said that he actually was excited enough that he reached out to Travis Kelsey, who he actually coached at Cincinnati. And as we're sitting here recording this, Travis Kelsey had the game-winning mm-hmm. catch in the Kansas City-Buffalo game this past weekend, but uh, certainly one of the better tight ends in the NFL. So has he hooked you guys up? Have you talked to Travis at some point? Do you watch him play? Yeah, I definitely uh, watch Travis and take stuff from his game. I mean, yeah, as you said, he's one of the better guys to do it in the NFL at his position, if not one of the best to do it at his position in the NFL right now. We have actually spoken to him as a collective, as a team, uh, through Coach Jones. Yeah. Uh, he connected us for a Zoom call, and I think that was great. Like He passed on a lot of information especially about staying on the right track and, you know, keeping your head in it and focusing up. So I think it was great to talk to him. What he said, now what Coach Jones told us, again, this is the day they sign you. And honestly, this may not even been on the air. This may have just been us sitting there talking I at the end. I think it was after we were done. Yeah. He says, your stuff came in. They knew they had you. He texted Travis Kelsey and said, I just signed your clone. In fact, he may be a little better. <laughs> No expectations, <laughs> yeah. they do. What do you think yeah, about that? Just, yeah, some beast to fill. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said, Travis, so we said, what did Travis Kelsey say? And he said, he texts back, send me the tape. He wanted to see what the hype was about. More tape is loading. <laughs> More tape is loading. I like it. You, got, you mentioned your position coach, Coach Kwan, mm-hmm. and you're in a good room and you know, Emmanuel Stevenson was also a freshman last year. You came in with him. You guys had your first year of college football together. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how much you learned playing your first year of collegiate football. It was great. Okay, so first of all, the switch position switch was crazy enough. Um, I played wide receiver in high school. So coming to Arkansas State as a tight end was a switch, like, it was it was a lot to take and like it was so much more assignments and like you know stuff you had to worry about you have to think about what the lines doing you have to think about where the runs go like it was just so much more complex than what I had previously done at receiver um, so I'd say that was first of all a huge step and then yeah in college everyone's everyone's good you know everyone competes everyone's just as big just as fast uh, so yeah you really got to do. Uh, the extra work to make sure you stand up. It's fun watching you play and and still kind of learn the game. And we're sitting here talking about the basketball team right now. And 
you know, Norshad O'Meara in a lot of ways is kind of similar to you coming from another country, hasn't played his sport that long. He started playing just a few years ago, but it's still a learning process for you, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely still a learning process. I think every year I'm just going to carry on picking up more stuff and become better and better. Was there a rule you, you didn't know? Was there a rule you still had to learn this year playing college football? Oof. I'd say yes. I'm not sure what specifically, but there's definitely times I'm like, in practice, I might be like, why couldn't this happen or why did this happen? You know, like yeah. I'm always still questioning a few stuff here and there, but I'm not sure what specifically, but yeah, I've definitely put in my questions. Has your family been able to come over and watch you yet? No, nah, they've not actually watched me play American football. So when they do, I'm sure it will be a great time. Hopefully I have a good game. Have you been able to go back home to see them at all since you've been here? No, not since I came. Give me the biggest difference, and uh, driving on the wrong side of the road doesn't count. Uh, The biggest difference between uh, South London and living in Jonesboro? Oof. I'd say, yeah, commuting. Like, that's probably the biggest thing. Like, I'm used to, you know, waking up, getting on a bus, then getting on a train or subway, as you guys might say. But I feel like here it's just, you get out, if you don't have a car, then... I'm not sure how you're getting around, you know? It's like, there's kind of one more. I feel like here's one mode of transport out there. I'm constantly on public transport. What about the food? I mean, have you yeah, food out here, kind food of adjusted to Southern food yet? Yes and no. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> no? <laughs> I've had a lot now, of Southern food. I'm guessing that uh, there's not a whole lot of barbecue over in South London. There's not nowhere near as much as here. Um, <laughs> so I can definitely say I've had way more than I've had back home. But I would say that back home, I'd get a different variations of foods from like more different places. Largely, it's a lot of the same, at least options. Mm. But what is, what's something from home, from a food standpoint, you just can't get here? I've yet had Caribbean food in Jonesboro. Okay. Well, I would agree with that. You probably have not. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite part about being here? Honestly, the football. I like everyone's welcoming. Everyone's, you know, great people. But I'm just so happy to play football. You know, I'm playing D1 football. I'm grateful for that. Um, I don't think my journey's like stopped here, but it's definitely a great place to be, to play football and like represent. You said you didn't really grow up playing soccer like we might have thought but do you have a favorite side did you have a football club i do actually support crystal palace uh that was because you could say i was a glory hunter when it came to soccer just supporting the best teams uh then obviously as i grew up you start to you know connect more with your home team which was crystal palace and they're like five minutes away from my house so you know the home side now is that is that the stadium they use for ted lasso the Crystal Palace. I thought I saw. I saw. Did you? I don't know if you watched Ted Lasso or not, but I thought the Crystal Palace Stadium maybe actually where they kind of use it as their home field. I'm not sure. I've not watched Ted Lasso. We can't have a conversation about soccer because that's all I know is the soccer I learned on Ted Lasso. <laughs> like we're like we, we're done now. I have funnily enough played in Crystal Palace uh, Stadium for soccer. All right. Well, check into that because I really think that's I think that's the stadium. So do I knew he would work Ted Lasso. <laughs> Into this interview. It's all I've point. got from a soccer standpoint. It's the only reason I knew who Crystal Palace was. And you've obviously fallen in love with American football. In fact, I uh, see, I mean, you're wearing a Raiders hat. Is that your team? Yeah, that's not actually my team. Funnily enough, I wear a lot of black clothes, and this is black and white. And all right, it so it's a, all about the look. Okay. It's, it was a gift as well, a very nice gift. Um, and it just goes with a lot of the fits that I wear. So, do you have a team? Yeah, the Seahawks. How? Why? Okay, so coming into football, that's the furthest away from home, by the way. <laughs> yes, <laughs> coming into football, the QB that I played with was like, "Hey, man, like you should uh, watch DK Metcalf. Check him out." Da da da. So here I am watching him. That's how I also get into watching AJ Brown. So I, I grew up watching a lot of big receivers, and obviously tracking his journey. Like, I was invested into watching kind of how he came along. Um, when he got drafted to the Seahawks, I was like, oh, Russ Wilson and him, like, that's a great, great link up. 
And then my quarterback was like, oh yeah, you know, like that could be me and you, you know, like we can work those same kind of stuff. And yeah, that's pretty much how I ended up supporting Seahawks. Last one for me, at least, is how does a person go about discovering that they can jump out of a swimming pool? He's uh, referencing a, a great video, and, and it still looks like it's somehow made up. It's real, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, you actually jump out of a pool of water onto the side of the pool. Yeah, it was just, you know, you're in the pool, ladders take a bit long, and you're like, hmm, I wonder if I... <laughs> <laughs> That was your reason. You didn't want to climb the ladder. It was like, let me, you know, like, let me give this a go. And then you start doing it on the low level. Uh-huh. And then, obviously, you you start doing the low level, build a bit of confidence, try to go way too high, hit your shins a couple of times, and you're like, okay, let me calm down, go a bit down, and then eventually you're just jumping out of the pool. So where's it? What's the maximum depth then for you? I'm not sure. I didn't actually measure. I just tried to go. How deep was the water to you? You could still jump out of it. Was it about waist high? Yeah, around around waist high. Any of your teammates tried to do that since then? Successfully, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I bet not. Sadu, it's great to have you at Arkansas State. We really appreciate you hanging out with us today, and good luck in the off season as, as you get ready for next year. Appreciate it. That's Sadu Triore joining us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We'll be back to wrap things up right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. If your debit card is lost or stolen or you're opening a new account, you can immediately get a new card just by visiting your nearby Simmons branch. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank as we Take a look at the week ahead for the A-State basketball teams. The first place men on the road making the East Coast swing. Red Wolves playing at Appalachian State coming up Thursday at 5.30. Mark Taylor from Sports Information threw out a stat the other day. It's been like 729 days between... Meetings on the hardwood between the Red Wolves and Mountaineers. So you're looking at two full years there. Of course, didn't play last year. And App State ended up going on to win the Sunbelt Conference Tournament a season ago. So the Red Wolves have a chance to knock off last year's regular season champs and tournament champs in back-to-back games. Looking forward to that game Thursday, 5.30 Central Time for the start. It's fun to think that there's a team in this league about to get its first taste of North Shadow Mirror. Yeah. Because it feels like he's already been around this league forever. So to think there's somebody in this conference that hadn't seen it in person yet, well, they're getting ready to. Well, Coastal Carolina hasn't seen him either. And <laughs> that will happen Saturday at noon when the Red Wolves wrap up that road trip. And then the women are back home. They'll host the Texas schools this week, just like the men did last week. All I think all they've got left is, is this weekend swing and their Little Rock home games. So I think that's what's left in their home schedule. So running out of chances to uh, see them in person and help them along and help them bounce back from, you know, again, uh, getting dealt a tough hand and then coming up uh, just a little short on that trip last week. Yeah, they need to take advantage of the home games. They lost two of them due to COVID cancellations. Uh, Again, the women play UTA Thursday at 7, Texas State, coming up Saturday at 1. What do you need to talk about before we Well, I'll just take the lowest hanging of the fruit. As we're sitting here on this Monday, it really is the low-hanging fruit. Because I am not, nor have I ever been, an NFL guy. I just, I don't have a team I watch on on a regular basis. I want the A-State guys to do well, and I want there to be more of them. That's sort of my interest. But then it gets around this time of the year, I'll pay more attention. The playoffs are really yeah. fun. And so, uh, but I didn't watch any of it Saturday. I know there were two road games you know, the two road teams kick walk-off field goals. All right, that's cool. Sunday, I hopped in Sunday at about four minutes to go in Tampa and the Rams. I saw uh, a lot of the fun part there. And then just sort of stuck with it. I went ahead and just 
flipped over from the from the get-go for kansas city and buffalo you really, picked a good one really solid decision on my part <laughs> <laughs> but here's the deal and you know it's just not the hill i'm willing to die on but against the low-hanging fruit today the nfl could give me its rule book and i would have it fixed for them in about 30 seconds or until uh, as long as it took the wide out to dry because all you got to do to the NFL overtime rule is wide out the little part that says if the team that gets the first scores a touchdown they win they could keep everything else exactly the way they do it except that and they'd have it fixed because now the NFL just had probably the best weekend of games I can't imagine has there been a weekend better than that every game ended with a score on the last play of the game Three field goals by the road teams and then the touchdown in overtime. So, I mean, you just can't beat that. And most people today are talking about the overtime rule. And that's not what you needed to have happen. No. And it's not news. People knew what the overtime rule was, right? But it's just when you see that, when you see those quarterbacks going at it, just trading haymakers down the stretch, and all of a sudden the 60 minutes is not enough. we got to play more football, and one of them never steps on the field again. That game deserved better than that. The NFL deserved better than that. The NFL didn't deserve for this to be what everybody's talking about. And what I understand is there's a zillion rules in that rule book in there to protect the quarterback right it's a quarterback league quarterbacks make all the money people come see the quarterbacks and you got this rule in place that might never let one of them step on the field <laughs> that's a good point and it's an easy fix i mean your overtime's fine you don't got to go to the college deal or any version of it do what you're doing do what you were doing had kansas city kick the field goal just give them the ball so the game is still even if you kick it to them the game's still either going to end on some kind of score a turnover, or a stop on fourth down, either of which is exciting. I guess I have a struggle with why it's that complicated. I think there's a lot of people wondering that right now, but still, tough to beat just yeah, uh, how absolutely. fantastic that game was the other night. Even Jim Nance and his, uh, the utmost professional, even he said, well, story's got to be told, Buffalo never got the ball, which is, you know, again, he works for CBS – who's you know partners with the nfl so i mean he he can't go in there he can't go have a hot take about the overtime rule yeah that's as hot as he can go is <laughs> it's got to be said buffalo never got the ball it's been a very fun edition of this second to none podcast appreciate Sadu triore looking forward to the week ahead for a state hoops and uh we'll see if the a state men can maintain their hold on first place in the Sunbelt Conference standings. We'll talk all about it next week when we join you again for the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.